I'm going to say the line from a Christmas movie, and then you are going to tell me what that Christmas movie is. So, for instance, if I said, you'll shoot your eye out, kid, you'd say, okay, good. I just want to make sure that we're on the same page. All right, now here's the thing. This is going to tell me a lot about you. Like, this is me peering into your soul. This is a very intimate connection right now, okay? So, I need you to get these right, all right? All right, so we're going to start off easy, and I'm going to end with one that I think is hard, but someone in the first service actually knew, so we'll see how this goes. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Yeah, such a great movie. Santa. Love it. Okay. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. I need the full title, guys. Thank you. Gosh. It's like BRB and LOL. Like, let's say the whole thing. Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. One and two. What's the full title of two? Thank you. Okay, I'm telling you. Full titles. Hi. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. True story. I've never seen that movie. It just looks way too sad. Not going to watch it. All right. Yippee ki I'm not finishing the line. <laughs> Die Hard! Christmas classic! All right. All right. Here's the hard one. Then why do I hear the dulcet tones of a glockenspiel? Then why do I hear the dulcet tones of a glockenspiel? Oh, I heard a, I heard a gasp. <gasps> okay, I'm going to tell you what it is, and I'm actually a little bit excited that no one knows what this is. Um... It is from the royal, or the, the Christmas prince, the royal wedding. Um, and now some of you are like, oh my gosh, yeah, I totally knew that. Yeah, you should be ashamed of yourself if you knew that. Um, <laughs> I, I, told, I, I actually, I, I don't know who it was in the first service. I need to find out. They told me they knew, and I'm like, we need to have a conversation about your Netflix viewing habits, because that's, that's worrisome. Uh, Christmas movies have become a tradition for a lot of us, right? My uh, Christmas movies that I always have to watch every year, White Christmas, Christmas Story, obviously Christmas Vacation, um, The Nightmare Before Christmas, we usually watch October 1st. Uh, I love The Preacher's Wife with Denzel and Whitney, obviously Die Hard, Elf, and of course, Gremlins, which is a Christmas movie. Don't let anyone tell you differently. We all have traditions, um, and a lot of times we don't even realize that they're traditions, they just exist. So like, what food you eat on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, whose house you go to, when you buy your Christmas tree, when you put up your, your ornaments and your decorations, when you go to the white elephant gift exchanges or office parties, when you get footy pajamas and matching socks and matching shirts, and you post pictures on social media making it seem like you're from an L.L. Bean catalog, which you're not, but it's still fine. It's everyone does that. And then you talk about, you know, all your Christmas carols and going to look at Christmas lights, and even eggnog is a tradition, which is so gross. How many of you like eggnog? Really? I have this thing with white food, like a gro most white foods gross me, out, gross me out, so even milk is super gross to me unless there's frosted flakes or like corn pops in them or something, but I just, I don't get eggnog, you guys. It's the mouth, oh, I can't, okay. Here's what's generally true about traditions. They point us to joy. They point us to joy because it brings up um, really a, an emotional response to really fond memories of the past, but... It can also bring excitement for what is to come. This is the third week of Advent, 
A time when we look forward to the celebration of the birth of Christ, as the Apostle John refers to it as when the Word became flesh. And the third week of Advent is traditionally known as the week of joyful expectation. Here's the challenge, though. There's a lot of us that are on pretty short supply of joy. As we near the day in which we celebrate what Christmas is all about, we need to understand that there are some of us in this room today who just have so much joy going on in their lives. There are some of us in this room that have learned to fake it, and we have a manufactured and fake joy, and there are some that just really don't have any. My hope and prayer this morning is that we can look past our traditions. We could look past what we think we know. We could look past our own arrogance, our stress, our shame, our guilt, um, even our own wants, so that we can really get an idea of what biblical joy is. So I want to start with this, and this is something I really want you to hold on to for the entire message. Biblical joy is found in Christ's presence. And I say biblical joy because I want to make sure that there's a distinction. I'm not talking about everyday joy. And for that purpose, I'm going to, I'm going to refer to everyday joy as happiness just to make it very clear when I'm, when I'm using the word joy. I am talking about biblical joy. Um, throughout Scripture, we see people's joy or lack of joy, it changes their lives. It changes their perspectives, it changes how they respond, it changes their, uh, their mindsets, it changes their hearts. So that's why I want us to look at biblical joy today. Last week, Chris talked about peace, and he uh, talked about the shepherds being in the field and watching over their flock by night, when an angel of the Lord came to them, and he read Luke 2, verse 10, that we're going to read right now. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That great joy that they are referring to is Jesus. Now, I want to be really clear about something. Um, there are going to be people that tell you that joy is a choice. Joy is an emotion. Yes, we have a choice in how we respond. Sometimes with our emotions, we have a choice in how we frame our emotions. But joy, at its base, is an emotion. It is a response to an inward or outward stimulus. And it doesn't matter how you're wired. It doesn't matter how much empathy you have. It doesn't matter what your personality is. We are all emotional beings with a myriad of emotions going on all the time. And joy is one of them. Is it different than happiness? Absolutely. But at its onset, it's still an emotion. Something has happened over the last century in the history of the church. A thought has taken hold um, that I think really came about because people wanted to show that the church and spiritual people were different than the world. And this thought was that happiness is a feeling. It's something that comes and goes, it's fleeting, it's not lasting. But Christians, Christians, well, they choose joy. And I, and I hear that and I go, well, you know, I can understand that. I, I get how that sounds. I get how that makes sense. It sounds very spiritual. It sounds very disciplined. It's not biblically true, but I get where people go. The problem is, is one of the byproducts of that school of thought is that now we have churches and faith communities that are filled with people who feel so much shame and guilt just because they feel sadness, because they feel grief, because they have questions, because they have anger. And I don't know, because they didn't choose joy correctly. And then what happens, naturally, is that then people feel the pressure to put on a mask and put on a facade, as if everything is okay. Everything's fine. No worries whatsoever. Everything is good. I am choosing joy, because that is the right thing to do. 
And they begin to lose touch with who they are, with who God has created them to be. And they lose all sense of what it means to actually be real with the people around them. How many of us have been those people? In fact, how many of us are those people right now? We have been taught so much, you just got to make sure that you seem happy. Everything is fine. Right now in this room, there are some who their lives are arguably in a great place. It's a super joyful time in their life. For a lot of us, this is a super tough season. For some of us in here, we are in a financial mess that's of our own making, but we don't know how to get ourselves out of it, and the stress is just literally destroying all aspects of our life. There are some of us in here today that are so confused and frustrated at the things that are going on in the world around us that we don't even know how to engage in a way that's effective anymore. There are people in here who are grieving and experiencing a grief that they wish that they would never, ever have to feel. There are some of us that are just super sad and really lonely. There are some of us in here that are experiencing things that we don't feel that we could be honest with the people around us because we're afraid how they're going to respond. There are people in here that are angry. They're angry and frustrated to the point that they can't even figure out what is true and what is not. Listen, the church is supposed to be the place that it's okay to not be okay. The church is supposed to be that place where you could come, where you don't have to have a facade. You don't have to have everything figured out. Growing up, I was hurt by the church in a way that left some lasting scars. And so I want to tell you this morning, because I think it just needs to be said, if you have ever been a part of a faith community where you were made to be uh, shamed for not having it all together, that you were made to feel that you couldn't be sad or angry or have doubts or frustrations or worries, that you were made to feel that you couldn't share just the struggles of your life, I am so sorry. Because that is not God's intent. That is not God's intent for the church. If I were to define biblical joy for us this morning, I think I would define it this way. Um, these are kind of my words after learning lots of different things, so if you want to yell at me later, that's fine. Joy is an emotion that fills us with good feelings, but is most lasting when tied to Christ as he opens our eyes to his truth. And listen, his truth is vast. We see his truth throughout Scripture. In the book of Psalms, we read that even the rocks cry out of God's truth. And the reality is, is that God's truth is everywhere around us if we're willing to see it. You could see God's truth in the music that you listen to, in art, in conversations, in your community. You could even see God's truth, believe it or not, in movies. Not The Christmas Prince, but in other movies. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and say that everyone has a favorite uh, Disney Pixar movie. If you don't, please email me. I have a moral responsibility to tell you about the love of Jesus and grace and to expose you to Disney and Pixar movies. So for some, Toy Story is the end-all to be-all, first and best. Some say Toy Story 3. Some people love Coco. They just love it. Remember me. Like, they, it's just their thing. Some people, it's The Incredibles or Ratatouille. Some people love Up. And look, the first 12 minutes of Up destroyed me, like... I was on a date with my wife in California. 
I don't, it's a horrible date movie, first of all. I don't even remember what the movie's about because I refuse to watch it again because apparently I'm ill-equipped to experience that much sadness. I don't know. Um, my, by far, my favorite movie is Inside Out. I think it's so smart, it's funny, it's clever, and it, it really talks about emotions in a way that I've never seen before. You could argue with me later, but I'm right, okay? Um, a film reviewer said this about Inside Out. The film creatively and effectively protects us from thinking that life is meant to be easy, fun, and carefree. The overarching message of Inside Out says that joy in this life can be real, even when mixed with sad and difficult experiences. Biblical joy, the kind that survives suffering and endures pain, is not always easy to experience because it's so enmeshed and intertwined with all the other stuff of life. But the thing that makes all the difference is simply Christ. Jesus was, for the people of the Old Testament, the joyful expectation. He is, for us today, our joyful reality. And he is our joyful reality because of his sacrifice and because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is because of Jesus that, as 2 Corinthians 6.10 says, that even when we are sorrowful, we can still rejoice. And what is behind Paul's words there in 2 Corinthians is the reality of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, which is God's gift to those who have surrendered their lives to him. The Holy Spirit is the reason that we can experience joy even amidst the difficulty. And it may not look like happiness, laughter, and smiles all the time. But it does look like having the consolation and comfort of God's Spirit at all times. And the hopeful and joyful reality that one we are never, ever as alone as we may feel. And two, the promise that when this life on earth ends, it's not the end of our story. Here's the other thing you need to understand about biblical joy. God is fully committed to our joy. When we read the Christmas story in the book of Matthew, we pick up after Jesus' genealogy and we pick up Joseph's side of the story. And Joseph is having a hard time wrapping his brain around the fact that his virgin fiance is pregnant. Seems like a thing that would be difficult to wrap your brain around. What we read in Matthew 1.23 is this. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. One of the negative things about traditions is that sometimes the more you experience something, the more you see something or hear something, um, the more likely it is to become mundane and it doesn't even connect with you anymore. So at Christmas time, when we hear the words God with us, it's really easy for it just to, to pass by. And I really want us to be able to look at that and understand the implications. God with us. The creator of the world with us. The author and giver of forgiveness and grace is with us. The people who act like fools all the time, he's with us. The broken and the downtrodden, the orphaned and the widowed, the families that we've been given, the families we've been invited into, the families that we have created for ourselves. He is with those that are trusting and those that have doubt. He is with those that are angry and those that have peace. He is with us in our loneliness and he is with us in our community. God with us, but it doesn't end there. Romans 8.31 says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He's just not with us. 
He's with us and for us, cheering us on, calling us out, committed to our joy. You have the creator of the universe in your corner. All that he is, all that he has, all that he does is for his glory and for his people. He is with us and he is for us. And catch this, he is with us and for us even when it seems like our circumstances say different. And I know how hard of a journey that is to accept. And it's all based out of his love for us. It's an extension, an outpouring of his love for his creation that we are able to experience joy and hold on to joy. We read Jesus' words to his disciples in John chapter 15. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The difference between happiness and everyday joy and biblical joy is simple. It is Christ. You see, Advent calls us to attentiveness. It calls us to pay attention to the reality of Christmas and what it actually means. That Christ came as a baby, grew to be a man, was sacrificed on a cross, and rose again for the forgiveness of our sins. That is the reality of Christmas. Advent reminds us that Jesus is our joyful present right this moment. And Advent's Advent re- reminds us that we have a responsibility to respond, to share our joy to the world around us, no matter how little or how great that joy may be. Over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about that um, we always do an Advent offering, and this year we are trying to raise $40,000 for uh, foster care and adoption projects throughout the area over the next year. We want to help provide a place where joy can flourish for kids in the foster care system. We are going to be partnering with group homes throughout Richmond to do day-long carnival and fun days for kids living in group homes. And our big God-sized dream is that this coming year, 2019, that we will actually be able to adopt an entire group home. We want to help kids be placed in families, and those families supported in whatever way that they need support. We're going to be partnering with two other churches here in Richmond to sponsor foster parent night outs just so they can have a break and a refreshment. And we also want to love on social workers. Social workers have such a difficult job, you guys, and we're going to be doing care packages for them throughout the year for as long as they will let us. Right now at Area 10, we have about 25 people who are intimately involved in foster care and adoption. We have about 15 to 20 more on the periphery that are are dipping their toes in and wanting to know more. And this morning, I want to introduce you to two people um, who this is their life, and this is a part of their life, and the joy that they've experienced. So if you don't mind, I'd like to introduce Catherine and Patrick Leahy to the stage. You guys might know Cat and Pat. If you don't, you should. They're good people. I was telling the first service, they... They're one of those couples that just really, every time I see them, my heart is like smiles. I don't know if a heart can do that, but if it could, it does. Um, So I asked them if they wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit of their hearts. If I can remind you guys to hold the mic to your mouths, just to make sure everyone can hear. Deal. Perfect. All right. So uh, what led you to the decision to grow your family? Yeah. So um, long before I met Kat, she had a passion for adoption and foster care. And when we started dating, that was something that rubbed off on me really quickly. Um, When we started our family and got married, 
we knew that we wanted to have biological kids, we wanted to adopt, and we wanted to foster, but we really weren't sure of the order. So while we were praying about that, we decided to take active steps and joined a foster care class. Um, and that led us to foster originally, and uh, adoption is going to be the next uh, way that we grow our family. When you began the process of fostering, what do you wish people would have known? So I just want to provide um, kind of two perspectives to that question. Um, one, just for those in the room that might be thinking about becoming foster parents, um, it does not take a perfect person or a saint, um, as kind of some people say. It just takes normal parents or people willing to commit to loving a child. Um, and then the second part, just a little bit more personal to my story, um, is that when I became a foster parent, I also became a first-time mom. Um, you didn't see my belly grow over nine months, um, but nonetheless, I was still a first-time mom. It just so happened that my first child was a teenage boy. So I started kind of a little bit later on down there. So, um, and so I think a lot of the moms in the room can attest to this, that it takes a village. Um, we really have to stick together because um, parenting is hard, no matter how a child enters your family. I know this is, this is kind of the hard question right here. As a parent, uh, talk about how joy is intertwined with the other emotions. Yeah, so I agree. It is difficult. Um, and I think, like you, like you mentioned, it's a mixed bag. But um, I think that joy is kind of like a centering emotion. Um, it doesn't happen in the absence of the difficult emotions. Um, I think when things are going well, um, it's easy to be joyful, but uh, when things are difficult, when there's suffering or pain, uh, for any parent, like, you know, when your kid's sad, it's tough to see. Um, when you're frustrated with them, like, that's when, like, viewing life or viewing those difficult emotions through the lens of the joy that you have in family and Christ, that's when that becomes really impactful. Yeah, and I just want to add to that in terms of being a foster parent. Um, that journey is you don't have any control, and it's very unpredictable. Um, but one of the things that we really focus on in that is the joy of being a part of a child's life um, and then being a part of our life, even if that means for a limited amount of time. Um, our first child lived with us for eight months, and it was painful to watch him um, move back in with his mom. It was, it was a joyful time, but it was still really painful to kind of go through that. And so um, with that, we found joy in the fact that we got to be a part of his story and he got to be a part of our story. Um, and we're excited that our son now, we get to be a forever family. How do you think your son Mitchell's joy has impacted you and vice versa, how your joy has impacted him? Yeah, so we actually asked Mitchell this question since he was going to be called out today. Um, and he said that when he's feeling just sad or down, um, that the joy that we kind of give off um, kind of helps lift him up. Yeah. And I would say in the same vein, um, when we're sad or down, like, he is, he is able to lift us up. If any of y'all know Mitchell, and I know many of you do, uh, he's full of life. He's, like, super energetic, outgoing, kind, and, like, big-hearted. So I think that... Um, Mitchell is always like a bright light in our house. So when we're dealing with tough times, it's tough to have an absence of joy when Mitchell is such a, a joyful addition to our family. So you have a captive audience. None of you are allowed to leave right now. 
Um, what would you like to say to them about getting involved in foster care and adoption? Yeah, so I think if I had to boil it down to two things, um, one would be that you're needed, and two would be that they're worth it. So what I mean by that is there's a giant need here for um, people in the faith community, in church, to, um, to be involved in foster care and adoption. Uh, that doesn't mean that you have to leave here and go sign up for a foster parent training class. Um, but it does mean that you should figure out where you fit into this story um, because the church has a giant responsibility and you in particular are needed. And uh, the last piece, again, is that these kids are every bit worth it. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Before I have them leave, I just want to let you guys know. Um, so if you want to give to our Advent offering, you could do it online. You could do it through the app. You could do it when we pass the buckets later. Um, also, if you've given to our Advent offering already, thank you. We actually have little ornament kits for you. And Rachel is going to be over at 2810 by the big Christmas tree doing family pictures that you could put in those ornaments. So I just want to let you guys know that. You guys, thank you so much. Um, give them a hand. Seriously, my heart smiles. It's, it's a weird thing. Um, there's really no way around it that joy is impactful. Um, and I think even as uh, Patrick and Catherine shared, you, you could kind of hear that. Um, our joy impacts people and other people's joy impacts us. Um, biblical joy is found in Christ. And God is fully committed to our joy. But we do have a responsibility. And there are some choices that we can make to really nurture that joy and cultivate that joy. So uh, as we near the end, I'm going to try not to be too long. I'm going to give us five just really practical ways to cultivate joy. So we're going we're gonna to go through these really quick. All right, number one, <clears throat> ask for it. Not that hard. Psalm 51.12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Even the most spiritually mature followers of Christ sometimes forget the basics. And one of the most important basics of the spiritual life is prayer. Prayer is a bedrock foundational aspect of our relationship with Christ. That is how God reveals himself to us. We see throughout scripture this idea that when you are looking for something, ask. You may not always get the response you expect. You may not always get the response that you want. But you will get the response that you need. And there's nothing that's stopping us from taking a few moments in our prayers to simply ask, God, show me your joy. God, teach me your joy. Or even using Psalm 51 as a prayer, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Let me see the joy that is around me even when it seems like there isn't any. Just that process of daily seeking Christ in prayer and asking for joy will slowly help to start reframe how we view some of our situations. So number one, ask for it. Number two, one of my favorites, sing. Yes. There is a reason that karaoke is so popular, and it's not just because we get to laugh at people who've had one too many drink, make fools of themselves. We are hardwired to enjoy the sound of song. You don't have to sing well, because let's be honest, some of you don't. You don't have to know the right key, which let's be honest, some of you don't even know what a key is. It doesn't matter. We are hardwired to enjoy, enjoy song. There's something cathartic about it. Think about it. When you're singing in the shower, and don't lie because you know you do it, or when you're getting ready in the morning, or you're in your car, and let's say Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer comes on. 
are you going to tell me that you don't sing like super loud and enjoy every minute of it? Of course you do. Maybe for you it's not living on a prayer. Maybe for you it's rapper's delight. Maybe it's shake it off. Maybe it's single ladies. You know? I, maybe, maybe it's uh, I Want It That Way by Backstreet Boys or Cardi B's I Like It. For Landon, I asked him earlier this week, it's We Built This City. It could be Jingle Bells. It doesn't matter. There's something about singing that just brings joy. And when we sing songs of worship and praise, that joy is given an incredible depth. St. Augustine said it this way, those who sing pray twice. Isaiah 12, 5 through 6 says, Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, the gr- and for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Singing is good for the soul. It helps us feel all the feels in a way that most other things can't. So number one, ask for it. Number two, sing. Number three, put up healthy boundaries. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. I want to be really careful with this one because I am not a trained counselor or a psychologist, and I do not want to speak on things that are beyond my understanding. What I want to do is just kind of give some broad generalizations that I think most people can agree on. Number one is that healthy boundaries are important for all aspects of our life. And number two, healthy boundaries look different for different people in different situations. There are some universal truths that I think we forget or ignore, or maybe we've just never been told before, such as you are who you hang out with. Or a better way to say that, or a different way to say that might be, you become what you spend your time with. Think about it. If all of your friends are super cynical and angry and negative and backbiting and gossip and just want to find the worst in every situation, how long before you become that person? If you only listen to your own opinion or the opinions that you agree with and ignore or dismiss a different opinion as if it doesn't matter or it's not valid, how soon before you become that person that's completely unapproachable? If you're someone who's struggling with addiction but continually put yourself in proximity to the things that feed that habit, how effective do you think you'll be at restoring that aspect of your life? If you want to cultivate joy, a great way to do it is to change your script. When help is needed, ask for help. When treatment is needed, seek treatment. Add friends who are joyful to your inner circle. Find books and songs and things that bring joy and spend extra time with it. Set up healthy boundaries not only to cultivate joy, but to protect your joy. So number one, ask for it. Number two, sing. Number three, put up healthy boundaries. Number four, Be grateful. We talk about this one often. We've talked about it on Sunday mornings over at 810 Kids and small groups, this attitude of gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 17 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. One of the things that we have brought up several times over this last year is a very practical thing you could do. Carve out three to five minutes of your day and write a few things that you're grateful for. For me, it's five things. I try and write down five things every day that I am thankful for, and I try to make sure there's no repeats for the week. And it is amazing how different my mindset is when I am doing that consistently. I bet if you tracked my, how my wife likes me, 
You could, you could find like the points like, oh yeah, he's totally like having an attitude of gratitude and make it a point to change his perspective. Or yeah, like he hasn't written down anything he's thinking before in like two weeks. There is something about that aspect of forcing ourselves to just have that time to find the things that we're thankful for that help change our perspective. Ask for it, sing, uh, put up healthy boundaries, be grateful. And the last thing is the most Christian thing I'm probably going to say all morning. Read your Bible. Read it often. Right now, in the, in the Western world, the Bible is at its most accessible. There are Bible apps. You could get the Bible uh, sent to, like, scriptures sent to you in your email. You could get verses texted to you. There are reading plans. It is everywhere. The only thing that's stopping us is ourselves. And look, I get the reasons. Number one of which is like, oh, it's just one more thing I need to do. Or when then when you open the Bible and you're like, there are so many words. And then you don't even understand all the words. And then it gets overwhelming. And then you read something and you're like, whoa, that's like, what? Like, I don't even know how to process that because you don't understand the context of it. Or you read something that's challenging to you and you go, mm, you know, I don't really want to be challenged right now in my life. Um, there's all these reasons. And I think sometimes the number one reason is we just don't know where to start. And so my encouragement to you with this would be um, simply to start. <laughs> simply start. Read one verse, maybe two a day. Get it sent to your phone in an email. Ask someone to help you remember. Get a part of a reading plan. Because what you're reading is our story of redemption. You're reading poetry and stories and historical facts about things that change the course of humanity, which is pretty great. Ask for it. Sing. Put up healthy boundaries. Be grateful. Read your Bible. We all know that life can be daunting. It can be frustrating and overwhelming and exciting and passionate and all of those things. But joy enables us to thrive even amidst the good, the bad, and everything in between. I don't really know where everyone is this morning in their lives. I don't know if you are at a place where you're just super joyful. I don't know if, if you've been faking it. I don't know if you have no joy at all. But I want to say a few things in closing. First, to those that are in that place where they're just resting in joy, um, I just want to encourage you to keep cultivating that, keep giving it attention, and maybe most importantly, to share it. Share a laugh, open your table and share a meal. Be a listening ear, a shoulder to cry on the arms of comfort because quite frankly, the joy that you have right now might be the very thing that someone needs most. To those of us in this room who maybe have the facade up and are afraid to say that they have struggles or that they're not joyful and that they are having a hard time in life right now, I just want to tell you it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to have it all together. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to ask for prayer. It's okay to talk to your friends or your small group leader or to, to ask to talk to an elder or the staff or to make a, a counseling appointment. It's okay to ask for help. I think one of the worst lies we tell ourselves is that there is shame in asking for help. And there's not. 
Because the reality is everyone in this room and every person you know needs help. So it's okay. And for those of you this morning who you just, you just don't have anything right now, I've been there, I get it. And I know how when someone tries to encourage you, the words just fall flat, but I still want to say, take heart. As we inch closer to Christmas, I hope that you can be encouraged. I hope that you know that you're not as alone as you may feel. That you're not as damaged or broken as you perceive yourself to be. That grief that you might be experiencing right now will not always last. The miracle of Christmas is hope and peace and joy and love. And honestly, today may be the worst day of your life. This might have been the worst week of your life, worst month of your life, worst year of your life. I don't know. What I know is that tomorrow is a new day and your story's not done yet. Because every one of us in this room has a God who is with us and for us. And I can't think of a better thing to be reminded of at Christmas time. In a moment, we're going to switch our, our uh, perspective on Christ from the birth to his sacrifice as we take communion. I'm going to pray here in a moment. I'm going to invite you guys to come down the aisle, go across, get communion, and go back to your seat. If you don't want to take communion, please do not feel like you have to. Uh, but the birth of Jesus is not the end. His death on a cross is not the end. His resurrection from death is not the end. But we want to continue to be able to focus our hearts and minds on him. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and I'm going to close us with a prayer today that is actually scripture. Um, and I just want the words from the Bible to, to wash over us this morning. Holy God, our Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that joy can be found in you. Thank you that you are for and with us. God, my prayer for us this morning is Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.